Man, that's great. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much. It's just so interesting that you know our new secretary, new. I mean, she's been here six, seven months. Julie, Julie Bethay. They're good friends with with Kathy, uh, Kathy Horton, and uh, happens to be that Bruce and Cindy know Kathy. Uh, who else? Somebody else knew her from where Sam Spivey knew her. But anyway, so she's not a stranger. She's one of us. And uh, but anyway, what a blessing! And it was God's providence that. We need a piano player to help us. I know Cindy's willing to fill in, and um, but but Kathy's been so kind to to help us, and uh, she'll be helping us some in the days to come. God's good, isn't He? Well, some of you are not sure about that, but believe me, He is. Your Bible's open to John's Gospel. We want to read this passage one more time, John chapter John chapter one, and. Uh, I always um, try to be conscious of how I sing, or I don't sing well, but because some of the songs I love so much, I just want to sing them to the top of my my voice, and then I can't, you know, I lose my voice, which I know you would hate that if I couldn't preach very long. John chapter, John chapter one, and we are talking about uh, living in the light, uh, living in the light of eternity. Now, folks, just the thought of that. Uh, you're eternal beings. If you look at your little outline, your theme outline, focus, I think this year we're calling it a focus, discipleship focus for the next couple of years. Um, I used three passages. John 1, we'll read that in a minute. Last week we used uh, Ephesians 5 8, uh, where God's brought, taken us out of darkness. We used to be in darkness, and now we're, we have the light of life. And uh, then Ecclesiastes 3 11 is an interesting verse because King Solomon who's the preacher there in Ecclesiastes, uh, reminds us that God has set eternity in the heart of all people. So all of mankind, one of the doctrines, if you study anthropology, the study of man, one thing we know, because we believe the Bible, is every person has a soul because they're made in the image of God and they're eternal. And part of the image bearing is that we're eternal beings. And so when we talk about living in the light of eternity, you know, we live for Christ now, knowing Him, okay, if you're saved, we live for Him now, but we're going to be living with Him for eternity. And it, because we believe He's the Creator, we, we believe He's going to recreate. First of all, He's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Christ has never reigned on this earth. The Bible says He will. So He's coming back to reign. He has to come back. The Bible says, he said he was, he's coming back. And then he's going to reign for after he judges for about seven years, um, or the tribulation, then he'll come and reign for a thousand years. And the Bible says, me and you will reign with him as saved. Those of us that have come to him by faith and believe in the cross will reign with him, the Bible says, for a thousand years. By the way, it says that six times in three verses, a thousand years. How long do you think it's going to be? A thousand years. It's not figurative, it's literal, a literal thousand years. So, and that's just the beginning of eternity. Um, then after that, if you read the book of Revelation, He makes a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will always dwell. There'll never be a chance of sin. And it says, you know, we will, we'll be with Him forever. That's, that's eternity, my friends. Um, 
So we, we live with Jesus now, but we're going to live with Jesus forever. Do you realize what Jesus did when the Bible says He humbled Himself? and became a servant. You can read this in Philippians 2. When you see Christ, Christ will be in human form. If you're thought about that. When you see Him face to face, the Bible says you will, He is in human form. That's part of His surrendering to become the Savior. He took on the form of a human being. Uh, became obedient as a servant, then came obedient to death. And then it takes a step further, even death on the cross. So God died for me and you. But when we see Christ, He will still look like a, a human. Glorified, but yet a human. And you know something else the Bible tells us? He will bear the marks of the crucifixion. When you see Him, He will bear the marks where He died for our sins. Isn't that amazing? That's the Jesus that we serve now, but we also serve for eternity. When we talk about living in the light of eternity. I'm reading out of John's Gospel. I'm going to begin at verse 1. Uh, <clears throat> I want to read verses 1 through 5 and then a couple of verses later on in the chapter. In the beginning was the Word. And there is a direct connection to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the you know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a direct connection. Because Christ is the Creator. He, of the Trinity, it, it, the Bible teaches this in, more, it, in Colossians it tells us this, in Hebrews it tells us this, that when God created, God is one God in three persons. The person of the Godhead that did the creating was Christ. He, we didn't call Him Jesus Christ. He was the eternal Son then. <clears throat> so in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's equal, okay? Equal in power, equal in essence. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. Okay, and now, that's true historically, if you're looking at the creation ordinance, creation in Genesis 1-3, through 3, He said, let there be light. And there was a, let there be life. He breathed life into Adam. And the Bible says Adam became a living soul. So it's literal, physically true. But also it's spiritually true. In Him was life. And... So those of us that have met Christ personally, we have a life that we once were foreign to. Matter of fact, we were dead and we've been given life in Christ. So it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 11. John 1. He came to His own. You could read, literally that says He came home. He came home. Came to His own. And His own people did not receive Him. That would be the Jewish people. Right? 
<clears throat> but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right. Salvation is a work of God in Christ. It's not you, it's Him. And He's describing those of us that have this life. This is where the born again comes in. Who were born. Okay? So, this life is one that comes by spiritual birth. Okay? Folks, it's obvious the difference in any living thing. You know when something's alive compared to something that's dead. Whether it's a dead limb in your backyard or a dead bird or a dead squirrel. There's a difference between something dead and something alive. The Bible says, those of us that know Christ have believed in Him, we're alive. We have a life that we once did not have. And that's proof that you know Him. The life. Do you have the life? It says, who were born, talking about born again, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. So you're not born by human effort. But by the, by, not by the will of man, but you're born of God. And it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And what is Jesus full of? He's full of what? Grace and truth. So, Christ came full of grace and truth and we have met Him. And that's part of the life that we have. For the sake of time, I want to read to you some Old Testament verses. You don't have to turn there. I just want to remind you, when we talk about the light, uh, living in the light of eternity, light and darkness separating light and darkness, spiritually that happens in salvation. God separates us. Now we're in the light. We have the life of Christ. It's like a birth. Jesus says, He even tells Nicodemus that, you must be born again. In John 3, you must be born from above. So it's like a birth. And so this life is, comes by birth. Those of us that have been born again walk in the light or we have the light of Christ in us. That's what he's talking about. But even in the beginning of time, if you're reading the book of Genesis, which we're studying that in early bird study and for Sunday school for one more Sunday, but it says that in Genesis that he separated the light from the darkness. And that's always been true. Think about that in creation God separated the night, the night from the light. He called one day and one night. But they're forever separated. And that's true spiritually. Genesis 1, 3 said, And God said, Let there be light. And guess what? And there was what? Light. In your salvation, because it's from God, it's not the will of man, not the effort of man, it's God. And in you, God said, Let there be life. Or let there be light. And you know what? The Bible says, and it was so. Because He birthed you from above. Uh, Peter argues this in Second Peter. Uh, the seed. He talks about the seed. The incorruptible seed that saves us by the Word and Spirit. God puts His seed in us and makes us alive. Genesis 1.18 says, To rule over the day and over the night. He separates them. To separate the light from the darkness. Spiritually, that's what He's done in the new birth. That's why John 1 starts out like it's creation. In the beginning was the Word. 
Because now we're talking about a spirit. Really, it's eternal. Spiritually, God separates uh, light from darkness. Physically, He separates light from darkness spiritually. And He's done that through Christ. To rule over the day and over the night. To separate the light from the darkness. And the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. Now here's an interesting verse. Just follow along with me. And we are going to come back to the New Testament. But this is in Exodus 10. And this is, this is the plagues. Okay? And we, many of you can recall the frogs. I mean, you can recall some of the plagues. But the ninth plague was, was the plague of darkness. Okay? Listen to this. So, and of course, let me just preface this by saying, the text doesn't say the sun didn't shine. Okay? It doesn't say blotted out, that God blotted out the sun. Now that's going to happen in Revelation. The sun will not give its light. Matter of fact, it seemed to have happened when Christ was on the cross for a few hours, for three hours. But in the book of Revelation, the sun will not give its light. But in, in Exodus, when God's sending the plague so the Pharaoh will let the, the Jews go, the ninth plague was darkness. And there's a good chance it was some kind of massive sandstorm because it lasted three days. But listen to the text, okay? I think God's fixing to call His children out. Okay? He's fixing to save Israel. Fixing to be Israel. The children of Israel, okay? Jacob. They're not called Israel yet, but so he's fixing to call this family out, which really is a nation. And this is what it says. So darkness, ninth plague. And of course the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn son, right? And remember the Passover. Okay. So this is right before the Passover. They did not see one another. So it's talking about the Egyptians. They did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. They couldn't see. And you can read about this. And some scholars argue a good point that it could have been a massive sandstorm off the Sahara. Very possible. Sand everywhere, blocked out the sun. That's, but it did it at the right time because this is a plague from God's, God's authority. So, so it says, and so they did not see one another. So it was so dark with whatever, you couldn't see one another. Nor did anyone leave his place for three days. But it says all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And you can study where the Israelites, where they lived. I mean, they were slaves to the Egyptian kingdom. But, but where they lived, where they were from, was in the southern part of, of Egypt. And it was fertile. But where they were, they had the sun. There, and it's just telling us there was light where God's people were. Now folks, I know that's a historical event, but is it not true? Where God's people are, there's light. Am I not right? There is light in this room. Because, you, matter of fact, Matthew 5 says, you're the light of the world because Christ is in you. In Exodus 13, talking about when He saves Israel and He leads them out of Egypt, He appears, God appears, in a cloud. And if you remember, the cloud did something at night. It was a pillar by day. Not a pillar you lay on, but a big mass of cloud. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud 
to lead them along the way. And by night as a pillar of fire to give them light. And so they traveled both day and night because they walked in the light. Christ is now the light. And really, literally it's true because the Spirit of God, which the Shekinah was God's presence, now the presence of God tabernacles inside of us. According to 2 Corinthians 6, we're owned by Him, been bought. Spirit of God dwells in us. So we're... So we have the light inside of us. And then when they worshiped, there was always light. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Now when they make the tabernacle, that's the tent of worship, light was a big deal. You shall make seven lamps for it. It's a menorah. Okay, They, they made this uh, lamp, uh, seven arms, you know, one in the middle, three on each side. And you shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamps shall be set up so as to give light to the space in front of it. Now again, if you're, if you're tying all these things together, where the, where the menorah was or the lampstand was, was right in front of the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. God's presence resided inside that, that veil. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. But God's presence was on... And so the light shined on where God's presence was. And then the Bible says, you and I are the light of the world. Folks, we shine God's presence. Interesting thing that the Bible tells us. Exodus 27.20 says, You shall command the people of Israel that they are to bring pure beaten olive oil for the light. So one of the commands for the Jews were they had to provide beaten oil, olive oil to burn a certain... It was different from all the other olive oils that they... Or virgin olive oil, if you want to say. It was a certain kind. It's done a certain way. But they had to always have oil because those lamps were to burn all the time. So there always had to be... And then you think about the parable about the, 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 the uh, virgins that didn't have oil in their lamps. That's a picture of some of us. Some people in this room have all the trappings of being united with Christ, but there's no oil in the lamp. The Spirit of God's not in them at all. Well, here it says that you have to provide, it's a command to have enough oil. By the way, I, I read that, I studied that this week. Just And, and I am running out of time. I am aware of that, but that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm in really not bothered by it, to be honest with you. I'm really not. But... Um, the way they did this is it gave off less smoke. When, when you study how they did this certain kind of oil that they put in the lamps to burn, it gave off less smoke, which would be important because you're in an enclosed tent area in about a 20 by 20 square where the, the menorah was. So when it burned, if it gave off a lot of smoke, it'd be an issue. But just something to think about. It says, And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight... He shall burn incense, offering before the Lord throughout your generations. What he's saying is, you're always going to be burning these lamps. Sometimes they said that it would just burn from, from the end of the day till daybreak the next morning. In some passages, it says it burned all the time. But folks, I just want you to know that even in the worship of the Old Testament, light was very important. Well, in the New Covenant, light is very important. Um, 
you have your Bibles, let me show you this. Go to, uh, go to, go to Matthew. Uh, go to Matthew 6. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 6. And, and I'm going to skip a bunch of things and just share with you two or three things to think about. Matthew chapter 6. Let me make sure I know what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 19. When you read this sometimes, you don't read all the context when it talks about laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. But look what the Bible says. Um, it says, uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, there your heart will be also. Let me read that again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you value, that's what your heart goes to. Then in the same context, Jesus says, it's about what we see, how we look at things. Okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. I mean, basically, let's put it like, if you think biblically, if you think like the mind of Christ, then, then you'll be healthy. Look what he says. If the eye is the lamp of the body, how you, how you view things. This goes back to being worldly. Okay? Uh, Jesus talks about this in John 17. If the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, if your eye is bad, let's say if you look at things in the wrong perspective, if, if you treat this temporal world as if it's permanent, that's a bad eye. Uh, if you think you can straddle the fence and be lukewarm, according to Revelation 3, lukewarm, if you think you can do that and get away with it, you're in error. Your body's full of darkness. You have a bad eye because it doesn't happen that way. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is really darkness, how great is that darkness? This is one of the greatest Bible verses, I think, in the New Testament. One of the most probing questions it asks. If what you think, and I'm talking to believers, okay, Jesus was talking to people that were following Him. If you believe what you have is light, but it's really darkness, if it's a false faith, how great is that darkness? How great is it if you think you got it made, but you're not, because the light's not in you. You know a lot about it, but you're not living it. He's not in you. So He says, your whole body will be full of darkness, then the light is in you as darkness. How great is that darkness? Then He goes on. No one can serve two masters. It's about lordship. Folks, the Christian life, you know, again, I, I, I love politics. I do. Um, and sometimes I love talking politics. But we, we could have won, when I say we, the side that I'm on, which didn't win, but we could, have won, we could win the next election. We could have won the last election. But folks, that's not what's going to straighten this world out. Do you understand that? I know some, 
some temporal things would change. You know, yes, our borders would be safer. Our military would be stronger. But that's not going to fix the moral decay of this world, of our, the decay of our nation. It's not going to fix it. Salvation, the light of the world is what's going to change the moral landscape of this world. You can have all the great policies you want, but lost people live like sinners because that's what they are. They don't have the light. I love, I love, uh, this is in, I won't, I'll just paraphrase it real quick, but this is after Jesus. This is in, if you read John, I'll be quick, John 7, 8, and 9. Uh, the woman called in adultery. That's right after that is when Jesus, you know, he confronts the guys. They're, they're hypocrites, right? They bring the lady that's called in adultery, but who do they forget to bring with them? The man. Okay? So he calls them out. And, and then right after that, that's when he says in John 8, 12, that happens at the end of 7, he says, I, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, the context of that was the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read it. He does two things. He talks about water and he talks about light. But, but they would light during the Feast of Tabernacles in the city of Jerusalem. They had those 60-foot menorahs they would erect for the Feast of Tabernacles. There was four of them. And it, it literally said, if you read <clears throat> Josephus, the Jewish historian, it would light the city. Well, on the last day, they wouldn't light them. So Jesus says, I'm not the light of Jerusalem, not the light of Israel. I'm the light of what? The world. He who, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So folks, there's a, there's a vast difference between knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus. But right after that, Jesus heals a man born blind, which reminds us that he has power to change people. If you believe in him, he'll change you. You'll pass from darkness to light. He did it with a man who was born blind. Uh, I think it's in John 9. Anyway, so this is the guy that's persecuted because he healed him on a Sabbath, right? Oh, that freaked him out. That's work. Can't work on the Sabbath, according to them. So they're persecuting the man. They threaten to kick him out of the synagogue, whatever. But that, so they're giving him a hard time. They're asking him who Jesus was. He says, I don't know. And finally, he says this. this he, they go ask his parents. His parents say, hey, he's old enough. Ask him. And so they come back and ask him again. He says, I don't know who he is. Whether you think he's a sinner or not, this is what he says. But this I know. Though I was blind, now I see. Can you say that? Spiritually? There's a lot of th and there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of things that trouble me. There's a lot of things I don't understand. But I can tell you one thing. Though I was blind, now I see. Can you say that? Is your transformation as dramatic as somebody physically receiving their sight? The Bible says it is to be saved. It's like passing from blindness to sight. Is that you? I remember reading this little illustration. I'm going to give you... <clears throat> I know i got one. Well, my clock says one minute, okay? It says 12.29. I know yours is fast. Yours is probably 10 minutes fast. Listen, listen. I remember reading this. This is a great little illustration. Uh, I mean, it's, it's 
apocryphal, which means it's probably not true, but it is a good little story. It said that there was this man out witnessing and on the city streets. We used to do that in Bible college. You'd go witness on the streets of uh, Dallas, Texas. Pretty interesting. Uh, get rejected a lot. But this guy was doing it, and he had a placard, one of those sandwich things that put his head through and had a message on either side. I, and I love this. This would work. We could do this today. On the part that he was looking at the crowd walking his way, it said, I'm a fool for Jesus. I'm a fool for Jesus. On the back side, it said, whose fool are you? Isn't that good? Well, let's just, the world thinks. I can tell you whose fool they are. I am a fool for Jesus. I believe everything you said. But they're the devil's fool. Whose fool are you? Everybody's. I'm a fool for Christ. If you're not, then you're a fool of the devil. So whose fool are you? Folks, this is all real. It's real. But we don't live like it's real, do we? We play around with Jesus. We really do. I know I'm out of time, but let me tell you what's messing us up. I'm going to give you four things. I meant to do this last week. It tells you how I'm really behind. Number one, let's think about it. Let me tell you what we're struggling with. Number one, the people that surround us. Quickly, I, I'm not going to hammer on each one, but four things and we'll close. What, what, as a believer, walking in the light has everything to do, number one, with the people that surround us. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote books called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the Revelation. But in 1st John, he says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Right? And then he says, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. There's something sanctifying about being with other believers. We, we know that. I mean, the Bible talks about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hebrews 10, 25. And, it, and the Bible argues that God does something in us and with us that He doesn't do when we're separate. I, I don't know how He does that, but He does that. So your Christian life and you walking in the light and having the light of life or the life and the light, you doing that or fleshing that out has everything to do with the, the people that surround you. Do not be deceived, Paul says to the Corinthians. God is, you know, God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Well, he also tells the Corinthians, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So he, he goes into this, he goes into where we go, where we visit, even deals with where you go. And you go to things where pagans worship. And he talks about demonic activity. So the Christian life, number one, is about the people that surround us. Number two, it's about the passions that subvert, that subvert us. You know what I'm saying? It's our sinful passions. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Our sinful passions. Matter of fact, he argues in Galatians that when we get saved, the sinful passions now are in the past, but they battle our new passions for Christ. He talks about the, the sins of the flesh. Either we walk in the flesh, and he says, or we walk in the Spirit. So we have this huge battle that's going on. So when we're thinking about walking in the light, number one, the people that surround us. Number two would be the passions that try to subvert that. Your old sin nature is what you would call it, Galatians chapter 5. Number three, 
It's about the power that supplies us. Now I'm going to end with this for the sake of time. So let's take our Bibles. And I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I, I lied to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll close with this, but I want you to see this. Now just think with me. So walking in the light has everything to do with the people that surround me. It has everything to do with the passions that subvert me. I have to understand there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians 5 says they're diametrically opposed. It says you can't walk in the flesh and please the Father. If you're pleasing the flesh, you're not walking in the light. That's what he's saying. So it's about surrounding my people with surrounding my life with godly people. Number two, it's about being aware of the passions of my flesh that want to subvert my Christian life. And number three, it's about the power of God that supplies me. Now I want you to listen to what the Bible says. I'm in 2 Corinthians. You'll want to mark this verse in your Bible. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm just going to read. Um, look at verse 4. It says, uh, verse 3 says, And even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. That's one of the works of the devil. He snatches it away. In their case, talking about lost people, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So one of the works of the devil is the gospel's preached, the gospel's shared, the gospel's lived. People think about believing and the devil snatches, you know. He blinds them from seeing the glorious work of the gospel of Christ. He says, for what, verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And with ourselves, we're your servants for Jesus' sake. And here's the verse that just astonishes me. Now again, the people that surround you the passions that subvert you, and number three, the power that supplies you. For God, look what He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's what God said. Genesis 1, and really to some degree, John 1. For God who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, if you have Christ, you have the light. And the same power, this is what Paul's arguing, the same power in Genesis that made something out of nothing, the same power has put Christ inside of you. So, are you in the light? What I'm asking is, are you saved? Are you in the light? The light and the darkness have always been separated. Are you in the light? Put another way, is Christ in you? Have you been born from above and is Christ in you? That's the question. So the Christian life simply could be about all the people that surround us, the passions that subvert our Christian life, and the power that God has put inside of us that supplies us. Are you walking in the light? Let's stand together.
You know, uh, when I was a little boy, and there was a time when I was little, uh, I was a little boy, and uh, our, uh, I was about three or four, well, I was probably five or six. That's, but anyway, we used to have, a, my, all my neighbor friends that lived right around me were, were older than me. Now, up the street was my best friend, Paul. We were the same age, all that. But the, across the street and beside me were guys about five years older than me. And they would always want to play. Um, they used to call it goal line defense. That's football guys. And I was a little boy. So they'd say, we're going to, they'd get on their knees and they'd sit on their knees and they would want me to take a football and try to run through them. There's like four or five of them. And they were big. They were like 10 and I was like five. It scared me to death. And I thought they were going to kill me, but they were just playing. So I would run and I'd try to bore, you know, run over them or run through them and they'd tackle me, but then they'd slowly just pummel me to the ground real softly. And, and we'd do it time and time. Goal line defense. Goal line defense. Let's play goal line defense, Bryce. Ah, oh, I don't want... Yeah, okay. Play. You know what? It was just a game, right? Do you know what? I'm not kidding to many people in here. This is just a game. Walking in the light of Christ is not real to you. It's just a game. And, and you know that's true because when you leave here, you're not going to think a thing about it. I, I pray that you're saved. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for worship. Thank you for the opportunity to God, to assemble together, to hear Your Word, to sing about Your great salvation. Father, I pray that all of us here that are saved would be serious about obedience. God, about repentance. Oh, God, purge us from our sins. Convict us, God. Make us holy. Make us holy. Make, make our living the Christian life about pursuing righteousness and, and not about policies and politics. It's about holiness and walking in the light. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gathering of the church. Watch over us now as we go out into the world as salt and as light. In Jesus' name, amen. See you Wednesday night. God bless you. Have a great